Welcome to the Core Principles Podcast. Thank you for tuning in, and we hope you'll enjoy this lively discussion of relevant topics, which we attempt to examine through the lens of unchanging objective truth. Here's the host of the Core Principles Podcast, Clay Howerton. Thank you, Suzanne. Today on Core Principles, I'm pleased to welcome the Shulman Fellow at the David Horowitz Freedom Center, uh, also host of the podcast, The Right Take with Mark Tapson. Mark Tapson, how are you doing today? I'm pretty well so far. How about you? Very well, thank you. Good. Well, today I'm going to want to talk about a recent article you published uh, regarding eco-zealots, and you published this on frontpagemag.com. But first, I'd like to get to know you better and let the listeners know a little bit about you. What was your path coming up, uh, your educational path, and then how did you end up at the David Horowitz Freedom Center? Oh my gosh. Uh, okay, I'm going to try to give you the thumbnail sketch answer for that because it's uh, I can ramble on at length about it. Um, I used to be a Democrat. I used to be not a radical activist, not far left, but what a lot of people might just call a brain-dead liberal. I lived in a total California bubble where I just absorbed political opinions from those around me, and I literally knew no conservatives at all. And I was kind of involved in the arts and academia, so that you know further solidified the bubble that I uh, that I lived in. Um, graduate to make a long story short, I gradually met some people in Hollywood, believe it or not, some conservatives. Um, who enlightened me in a lot of ways. And I began to question what was going on, you know, what I was, what I believed and thought politically and did a lot of research about it, stuff that I had never done before. Uh, Did some reading and studying and talking to people and finding out that, hey, conservatives aren't knuckle dragging racists like I had been led to believe. They were actually good, decent people, intelligent, um, creative, smart. And it really opened my eyes in a lot of ways. So I I um, it began a political conversion for me uh, that led me to meet Andrew Breitbart, um, who passed away about 10 years or so ago, a fierce culture warrior for the right, uh, who himself had been a Democrat in the past. Um, and he invited me to write for a website that he was starting up uh, for Holly about Hollywood, about conservatives in Hollywood called BigHollywood.com. And he started up a few other websites that were similar to that. They're now kind of collapsed into Breitbart.com. You know, so they, they, in their previous incarnation, they don't exist anymore. But So I began writing articles um, about the culture and about politics from a conservative perspective. And uh, that took off. And... Uh, that led me to write for a lot of other conservative sites. And I met David Horowitz, who also is a fierce conservative culture warrior. Um, Gradually, I began writing more and more for him. And now mostly I write for the David Horowitz Freedom Center, not entirely, but mostly, and do a lot of of other um, functions for them too. But, uh, and so that's what I've been doing full time for, I'd say maybe close to 20 years now. You mentioned the arts and how it was surprised you that conservatives, uh, you know, aren't knuckle draggers. Maybe we like the arts too. It happens that today I am wearing a uh, shirt that uh, is for the Paducah Symphony Orchestra. They're awesome. This is a small town I'm in, but we have a world class symphony orchestra. And oh, that's great. 
my observation about how conservatives like arts and that sort of thing is uh, we tend to pay our own way for it. <laughs> so that's the main difference between us and the left. Yeah. Uh, anyway, totally different topic. But you recently published an article at frontpagemag.com uh, called The Left Loves Humanity But Hates People. And it's a provocative, interesting, funny title. And it's specifically in your article you highlight folks that you descriptively call eco-zealots. And I wanted to ask you first, what is the danger of these planet-saving folks since they claim that they are just saving the planet? Oh, my gosh. Well, the danger really with any kind of uh, political zealotry, like especially these eco, you know, these environmentalists um, exhibit, is that... uh, their aim ultimately is to radically transform, to fundamentally transform, as Barack Obama once put it, the nature of our society. They're, they have a very utopian vision of how the future should be. Uh, the left is utopian, generally speaking, unlike conservatives. Conservatives don't really aim to create utopia on Earth. We, we recognize that people are fallen beings um, that we're we're not perfect and we can't just socially engineer some kind of of perfect utopian society. Um, but the left is totally utopian. They believe, you know, that we that if we just um, you know nudge people one way or another, that we could erase bigotry and racism. We can erase poverty. We can erase crime. We can live in a perfect society. And the problem with utopian dreams like that. <clears throat> is that they always end up in dystopian nightmares. They always turn totalitarian very fast because you you can't create a utopia. You can't socially engineer people without very quickly having to coerce them. (laughs) So it rapidly turns into totalitarianism, and then it becomes like the kind of thing you see in George Orwell's 1984 or in in communist societies or whatever. That is outstanding. Uh, I want to interject one thing, remind listeners, uh, you may have heard on one of my solo episodes, I talked about in detail just what Mark Tapson was talking about, but I was looking at in terms of the economic models that compete for dominance, supply side and demand side. And uh, I mentioned that there was a way that you could prove to yourself that uh, socialism cannot work. Uh, communism is always enforced against people's will at the point of a gun. Uh, different topic, but there's available on core principles. You want to look back in the archives for that one. It's a great point, Mark Tapson, but please continue about the, the danger of the eco-zealots. Yeah, and uh, to, to sort of spin off what you just said, you know, long ago, many decades ago, the, the Marxist left realized that pushing economic Marxism uh, wasn't as successful as they hoped it would be. It wasn't creating the worldwide revolution they expected. Um, so they shifted to more of a cultural approach, uh, which is what we now, some of us call cultural Marxism. Unlike economic Marxism, cultural Marxism works extremely well. It is very effective at modifying the culture and changing it and tweaking it over time the way the Marxists want it to go. Um, And this is why the left has devoted itself over the last half century or more to dominating every aspect of the culture, entertainment, education, the news media, everything, you know, all 
the societal uh, institutions and arenas that we swim in now. <laughs> and the and the, as Andrew Breitbart used to say, politics flows downstream from culture. So it begins in the culture and then it changes the political realm, too. Uh, but to get more specifically to talking about the environmentalists, these are the, the extreme. These are the most extreme, probably, of anyone on the radical left, because their aim is to save the planet. I mean, it's it's the biggest humanity saving goal you could have as a leftist, you know, is saving the planet from this imminent disaster, this catastrophe that's coming any minute now. So you get groups like the ones I wrote about in this article, uh, both of whom are, are British based, but they've got international extensions. One of them is called Just Stop Oil. And a, and a related one is called Extinction Rebellion. And both of these groups seek to, they seek political change through social disruption, meaning that uh, they're not so much interested in rational persuasion of people <laughs> or lobbying politicians or anything like that. They're out to disrupt people's daily lives in a dramatic way to, to bring attention, not only to bring attention to their cause, but also to pressure politicians to do something to stop these uh, these radical tactics like stopping traffic, you know, blocking traffic, uh, which is probably the most serious one. They also do things like interrupt sporting events like Wimbledon. Um, they throw paint on priceless art in museums, that kind of thing. They're they're aggravating the vast majority of people and completely alienating potential supporters, but. I think ultimately they don't care about that. They don't care about winning supporters or winning the hearts and minds, as I say, of, of the ordinary person. Well, let's talk about that aspect of it then, Mark. And you mentioned that they're provoking not only the citizens, but also the government, one would think. So when I was deployed on my only deployment in the military to Operation Enduring Freedom, a lot of our mission was to convince the younger generation of Afghans that we Westerners were not actually the great Satan, but we were interested in their success. And some called that winning hearts and minds. And of course, some parodied that. It's like, no, you guys went over there with guns and all you want to do is kill people. Well, you say, Mark Tapson, that these environmentalists like just stop oil and these uh, extinction rebellion, they could care less about winning hearts and minds. And it suggests to me that they will do just about anything to get what they're after. And that means to me that they're dangerous. I wanted to ask you, what should law enforcement, what should the government be doing about these zealots? We see them blocking traffic. We see them defacing artwork. We see them running onto courts at Wimbledon. What should law enforcement and government be doing in response? Well, that's a good question. And about your point that they're dangerous, you know, I'm surprised that so far they've resorted, or at least just stop oil has resorted only to blocking traffic. I think Extinction Rebellion has resorted to some actual eco-terrorism, you know, like setting fire to parking lots full of SUVs and things like that. So they're, they are dangerous because they're, they're, the, the catastrophe that they're trying to save us from is imminent. It's, you know, it's coming today. We've got to change today. So uh, they're very radical about that. But I, in terms of what law enforcement should do, I mean, uh, of course, we have to allow for peaceful protest. Um, 
But, you know, if you look like in England, for example, the police, whenever the police show up, they're always there to protect the protesters and to and to arrest the ordinary citizens. Um, I think law enforcement has to take a harder stance on that. And they've got to prevent, especially when it comes to blocking traffic, they've got to prevent protesters from interfering with what could be life threatening emergencies. I mean, these these protesters, you know, they don't move for ambulances or law enforcement vehicles or anything. Um, they figure, hey, if somebody dies on, you know, doesn't make it to the hospital in time, that's a small price to pay for saving humanity. So they're, they're, you know, you're right. They'll do pretty much anything. They're I would say that there is nothing peaceful about blocking traffic. There is nothing peaceful about defacing art. There's nothing peaceful right. about disrupting. Uh, sporting events. Uh, peaceful is standing not in a public thoroughfare, but in a gathering spot and exactly. stating your case. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so the, the disruption part, you're right. The disruption needs to be uh, needs to be curtailed. I mean, law enforcement needs to step in and, uh, you know, if you've got people blocking traffic, law enforcement needs to show up and drag them off. Uh, and then whatever the appropriate measures are, you know, in terms of arrests or charges and broken laws and things like that. Um, but yeah, I think the disruptions should not be allowed. I would add to my description of peaceful protests, uh, walking in upon invitation by Capitol Police to a public United <laughs> States government building on the 6th of January, yeah. 2021. Yes. I wasn't there, but I watched video of people being invited in by Capitol Police who said, quote, on audio, uh, I don't agree with this, but we were told to let you in, so come on. Anyway, yeah. that was peaceful too. Yep. Now the the glass breakers that day were not peaceful. They also were not Trump supporters. They were Antifa BLM. Proof of that, including the name of names, is available also on an episode uh, called January Six. Well, your colleague Mark Tapson and and our mutual friend David Horowitz uh, has been my guest here on Core Principles a few times, yep. and he advised me in his wise way that true believers of these leftist causes will do anything. And he, he asks this provocative question, what would you not do if you believed what they claim to believe? So my question to you now, Mark Tapson, is can we reason with these zealots? And if so, how? That's a tough question. And I, I think all conservatives wrestle with that because it's our instinct to to want to debate or rationally convince someone, you know. That's that's kind of our way is to engage people in conversation, debate in a polite manner. And we're fighting a different war that way. You know, that that strategy is not what the left is doing. Um, the left could care less about that. They are not open to to discussion or debate. So I think we've reached the point where conservatives I mean, yes, we should reach out to independents or people who are wavering, um, you know, people who, like the ones I used to be. I, I used to be a Democrat, but my mind was, you know, my mind wasn't so open that my brains fell out, <laughs> as they say. Uh, you know, I was open to, to rational discussion about things, uh, but the radicals that now uh, empower the left and dominate the left, they're not. So... I think we have to push back in some ways 
fighting fire with fire. Not in every way and not in, uh, uh, you know, life-threatening or dangerous ways, but in terms of defending, in terms of self-defense and defending our, our values and our citizens and our property, I think we have to do uh, whatever whatever it takes and fight fire with fire. I'm going to suggest it, one other way and get your take on it. If we could get government to stop making grants for funding scientific endeavors conditional on signing on to or lending voice to some of these outrageous claims about the end of the world, that might be helpful. Uh, the, the money trail is a whole other complicated conversation. You know, the funding of the far left and the funding of, uh, you know, some of the, as you mentioned, some scientific uh, um, I'm blanking out on the word now, but the kind of funding you're talking about, it's really insidious. And it, it's at the heart of a lot of the left's success is that there is so much money behind what they do. Uh, so that is definitely an arena in which the right has to uh, take serious, dramatic action, including law enforcement, uh, because this this funding is funding literally the the destruction of the American way of life. Uh, you know, it, it, we're no longer, if we ever were, in a country where Republicans and Democrats both felt that this was a great country, but had different, you know, disagree, disagreements about how to uh, make it better and that sort of thing. We're not at that point anymore. We're, we're facing a party that is fully engaged in tearing down everything we know and replacing it with a collectivist utopia. And some of them are flat out open about that. And, you know, when Barack Obama says we're a few days away from fundamentally transforming, well, what does that mean, fundamental transformation? That means from the ground up, changing everything. That's that's the enemy that we're facing, is, is an enemy that wants to tear down every institution, uh, you know, every value, all the way down to the nuclear family. Um, we're facing a life or death <laughs> uh, political fight. That is so important, Mark Taps, and I want to echo that and amplify that. I talk about it a lot on Core Principles. Listeners, it is great to ask, how do we get along cordially and in a unified fashion with our fellow countrymen, uh, even when we're in different parties? But we must consider uh, it's easy to get along when the question is, how do we achieve this common goal? But it's almost impossible to get along with people who don't share your goal at all. They do not want the, this to be the land of liberty. They do not. Yeah. They they look at make America great again and ask, when was America ever great? We've hated it from the start. That's exactly. not easy to get along with. It's like, should no. we destroy liberty or should we uphold liberty? Those are not compatible goals. Yeah, exactly. And, and I think we've just got, I think we on the right have to be open to reaching across the aisle to those who are capable of being reached. Uh, for those who are not capable of being reached, we simply have to fight fire with fire. It's just got to be war. Well, along those lines, what would you consider, you've mentioned two environmental groups and they're mm -hmm. both in Britain. 
what would you consider the most dangerous environmental groups that we should be aware of? Well, Just Stop Oil and uh, especially Extinction Rebellion, they've got um, um, out, you know, they've got branches in other countries, including America. They're British based, I think, but um, they're in multiple Western countries, including here. As far as I know, I I think I mean this is not a field uh, that I delve too deeply in, but as far as environmental terrorism goes, I think Extinction Rebellion is probably the most concerning one here because they're they've shown they're capable of terroristic acts. Uh, in terms of another far left group that's you know that's really uh, destructive to our society. I think the two most obvious that come to mind are Black Lives Matter and Antifa. Although Black Lives Matter is it has diminished in power and presence, I would say. Uh, they're kind of imploding under a lot of, of revelations of corruption and things like that. But they're but they've heavily influenced the culture. Um, but Antifa, the, those people, they're flat out domestic terrorists. Um, and we, we've got to clamp down hard on Antifa. And it's not happening, Mark Tapson, because uh, the laudable Andy No over in Portland oh, yeah. uh, brought a claim against some Antifa terrorists who you know beat people with the intent probably of murdering them. And yes. the, the attorney for the other side got the judge and jury to say, no, they're not culpable. And the attorney says, basically, I am Antifa. Yes. Uh, yeah. So we don't care about justice. We're going to right. terrorize you and beat you, and we're going to keep it up. And that that's really discouraging and chilling. Yes. Yeah, exactly right. Uh, and, and that goes back to the financing you mentioned, because a lot of what's happening in the legal world is the result of decades of financing from the left, notably George Soros, uh, to, to put in power judges and prosecutors and defense attorneys and at every level, people who are ideologically aligned with uh, social justice activism. And they have a whole new take on the law, which is not, which is that, you know, not that everyone should uh, be treated equally before the law, but that social justice principles should be applied to the law. Uh, and this is this has crept into our law schools now. I mean, you can see shocking evidence of it in our law schools that it's going to pump out the next generation of attorneys, all of whom or many of whom um, have social justice activism as their as their aim. And they're going to transform the legal field in ways that we are, can't even imagine at this point. It's really chilling. You uh, continue to make callbacks to prior episodes that I've <laughs> talked about. And listeners, the very first premiere episode in June of 2020 of Core Principles podcast was about why social justice is not justice. Not justice so check it out. Uh, well, I used to joke, Mark Tapson, that anyone who demands action on climate must <laughs> either take the action that they can take of stop exhaling carbon dioxide, or they should properly be ignored as unserious and hypocritical. I don't consider that a joke anymore. I think that they really have gone to the extremes where that's the course of action. It's either you stop exhaling carbon dioxide or I don't take you seriously because 
your demands are ridiculous on their face. But we've got Absolutely. a lot of young people, particularly, who have bought this grand, outrageous lie that if we will give money and power to more centralized government, they can fix not only the weather, but the climate and the environment itself. How do we break those mental chains? Uh, that's another great and big question. I mean, that obviously all stems from decades of the left infiltrating academia and and education, not just the institutions of higher learning, not just colleges, but all the way down through pre-K now. I mean, that's been a project that the left undertook decades, way back in the 60s, when they began to realize that maybe marching in the streets and rioting wasn't as effective as they wanted it to be, but they could change the culture by infiltrating education. So you get people like Bill Ayers, you know, Barack Obama's mentor, who is now a highly respected educator and has been for decades. And his wife, a fellow weather underground terrorist back in the 60s, she too has multiple degrees in education, uh, specifically for young children. So they realized long ago that you get these impressionable young minds early on and you can mold social justice activists um, without their parents even realizing it. You know, if, if anything good can be said about the pandemic, it's that it woke up a lot of people to what was going on to their children in schools. And it's creating, you know, a very um, uh, optimistic looking or very positive backlash from parents uh, who are fighting back now um, because they realize, oh my gosh, you know, what is being taught to our children? So it speaks to the power of education and the brainwashing of our young children that, that we have created these couple of generations now that have totally bought into the idea that government is good, that government should take care of us, that government can solve problems. And um, so you've got a couple of generations that don't have that independent American spirit that the country was founded on. They want to be taken care of. They want that, you know, that European, what they believe is a European style socialism, you know, where everyone's taken care of from cradle to grave. It seems pretty attractive, you know, uh, to young people today. And, and that that's going to come down to reversing education. We have got to abandon completely our broken educational system. Now, homeschooling is really taking off now, but not you know not very many people are in a position to homeschool i homeschool my, and my wife and i homeschool our kids i actually homeschool teenagers in our homeschooling community as well that's great but that's not enough we conservatives have to actively take back the field of education and i think i guess that's going to have to start with for, with political action it's going to have to start with us getting on school boards it's going to have to start with politicians who understand the culture war, like Ron DeSantis, you know, who can, who are willing to get in there and and take political action to reverse the cultural influence of the left. And we see how he gets attacked for things. They, they lie about what he's done. Oh, yeah. they, they called his uh, don't groom the classroom bill. Don't say gay. There's nothing in it right. that says don't say gay. It's like, don't be pedophilic groomers against these children. Um, That's right. And the parents were like, uh, we we want the teachers to knock off that grooming. And that's why we voted for this. Um, 
And the, the latest one is he's got uh, standards for history that don't say America's the worst place in the history of the world. We actually helped to uh, end slavery. And uh, those who were uh, subjected to the horrors of slavery were, in many cases, such awesome, overcoming, wonderful people that they did overcome even the most horrible thing that man has ever yeah. done to man. Oh, they're saying what uh, the slavery wasn't bad. No, that's not at all what they're saying. They're saying people overcame this horrible thing. Um, yes. It's crazy. They don't want that change. And in fact, they don't want it so much that they send the Federal Bureau of Investigation against parents who stand up to a school board and say, stop being a pedophilic groomer to our children. That Isn't is that unbelievable? It's, it's unbelievable. Yeah, that yeah, concerned parents now are labeled domestic terrorists and potential threats. Uh, yeah, no, the, the right now, I mean, the left plays the politics of personal destruction, you know, so they're, they're all about demonizing their political opponents on a personal level. And that uh, that strategy is very difficult to deal with and to wrestle with. But um, I do think that the right is gaining a lot of cultural momentum. We're fighting back. We're, you know, we're mad as hell and not taking it anymore as the you know, the 1970s movie network used to say. Uh, and so that's a positive thing, but we're, we're facing an uphill battle because the left is so deeply entrenched in the culture that uh, uh, it's just, it's going to be a tough fight. And they are not constrained by normal bounds of like ethical, moral behavior. They will do just about anything to yes. get their way. And they flail hysterically when it appears something opposes their way, which is why they have gone absolutely insane regarding Donald John Trump, just yeah. a citizen who had never been in politics who said, I'm going to disrupt this uh, business as usual. And they're like, oh my goodness, we got to stop this guy no matter what it takes. Crazy. Well, any final thoughts, Mark Tapson, on this topic as we wrap up? Uh, no, just that uh, I guess I would like to inject again, a note of optimism and positivity for people on the right, because I often talk about how we're, we're not in a position to even fight a culture war anymore. We lost the culture war. We're in a position now only to fight a culture insurgency. <laughs> you know, in other words, we're, we're not on an equal playing ground uh, or a level playing field with the left. We're having to sort of uh, uh, fight uh, a rebellion against it. Um, which puts us at a disadvantage. But on the other hand, many times throughout history, the underdogs and the rebels, uh, including in our own history, the underdogs and the rebels overcame uh, massive resistance and, um, and asserted our freedoms and our liberties. And so I think if we just remind ourselves to fight and pay close attention to everything that's happening in the culture and always push back and speak the truth, uh, we will prevail. Amen. Capital T Truth is the answer to yes. these questions. Well, thank you very much, Mark Tapson, for being my guest on Core Principles, and God bless you. God bless you, and thanks for having me. Keep up the good work. Core Principles podcast is produced in Paducah, Kentucky, by Real Productions. Music is by Late July, L-E-I-G-H-T July. You can find our music on all streaming services or at latejuly.com. Thank you for joining us today for this episode of the Core Principles Podcast. Please visit core.buzzsprout.com for more information. And please share with your friends. 
We look forward to visiting with you again on our next episode.